0: Any royal stories, Grace, Damo? None from me. I've met lots of queens, but not the queen. <laughs> I almost had an unfortunate instant with the Prince Albert. That's when I got most emotional
1: and needed my tissues. This podcast was recorded remotely and contains adult themes and language. Hello, and welcome to TV DNA House of the Dragon, episode four King of the Narrow Sea. My name is Adam Hemming. And I'm here with our very own Queen Consort, Grace Chapman.
0: Has oh, anyone else got a bit of a political headache?
1: The White Worm himself, Damien <laughs> Cooper.
2: Anyone fancy a spot of tea?
1: <laughs> and our own King of the Narrow Sea, it's Mr Neil Shepek.
3: Hi all. I have to say that I had to watch this episode numerous times and I used a whole box of tissues. I found it so emotional. Seriously. What I found really interesting about this episode was the journey that Alison's taking. I'm really interested as to where that's gonna go because she's a queen that is doing her duty to the realm and to the sovereign and kind of looking after, you know, what what is um, demanded of her. And obviously in the last week, we've lost our own sovereign here in the UK. And although Alison has not done the same amount of years and servitude that Queen Liz did, you know, it, it just made me think of that. I think, I think for a lot of us in the UK, we're, we're very aware of the situation at the moment. And I just wanted to share with you I have met the Queen. I was running a champagne reception at the end of one of the winter horse shows when I was in my 20s. And there was toilets in there that were only for the Queen and needed to be unlocked. So five o'clock when she left the Royal Box, I went running over to the office and said, can you unlock these toilets, please, just so I can tick that off. And then when I came back, there was crowds all around the car she was going to go back to Windsor Castle and then at seven o'clock come back for this reception with all the various dignitaries. But as her and Prince Philip walked towards the car, they deviated and went into the marquee. So I then started running through the crowd saying, let me through, let me through, which in our terrorist era, I'd have probably been shot. But Colonel Blahdy Blah or Brigadier, whoever it was, was like, get in there, get in there. So I went into the room and it was just me, the Queen and Prince Philip. And I was like, I wasn't expecting this. And I wanted to explain why nothing was ready for them. So even though I'd been taught that initially you wait for her to talk to you and then use your majesty first and then mom after that, I just blurted out, you're a little early mom. (laughs) So I kind of castigated her. (laughs) <laughs> the, the, the minute I spoke to her and yeah I could have ended up in the tower but it was only us both of them just gave me a wry little smile and Prince Philip just looked and said well it seemed rather silly to go all the way over there just to come all the way here so we just all come here <laughs> and I, outside I could hear the various colonels and brigadiers on the radios getting all the dink trees right you need to be here two hours early now. And then um, once it all was working fine, which was cool, Prince Philip, I caught his eye and he looked at me with a kind of wry smile, if to say, we fucked you up there. And that's a really fond memory that I have.
1: Amazing. We've just been talking, I was running a workshop and we we opened with uh, the closest we've come to royalty. And I told my story about meeting Prince Edward. Basically, not dissimilarly, I not realising who it was, said, cheers, mate. Prince Edward, um, (laughs) her National Youth Theatre Ball. So there you go. Any royal stories, Grace,
0: Damo? None from me. I've met lots of queens, but not the queen. (laughs) I almost had an unfortunate incident with the Prince Albert.
1: (laughs) Um, But we're not going to talk too much about the queen, other than say, you know, very sad, obviously, that she has has left us and what an incredible woman and an amazing amount. I mean, to be in one job for 70 years, pretty huge achievement. So, yeah. Well, House of the Dragon, eh? Well,
3: okay, so we open up with Winera holding Damon's necklace, which was foreshadowing a lot of stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean, we basically went into Westeros's version of a dating app, didn't we? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I have never used them, so I don't know whether she was swiping right or left, but there was definitely, it was all going in one direction.
0: <laughs> Lots of mismatches going on there, I think.
1: I think she was constantly swiping left.
0: And there we've obviously
3: got Lord Beric Dondarrion, and we know of another character over a century later of that title, but boring Wynira. And we're at Storm End's
1: castle while she's doing her tour around Westeros. Yeah, there's a nice bit of banter between the Blackwoods and the Brackens, and this is something that runs throughout the books and that those two families have a huge rivalry so I thought it was great great to have that kind of that the guy on the sidelines jeering at this young young boy who then stabs him
0: it serves him right for calling him a craven
1: <laughs> I love that baby Blackwood killed a bracken
2: yeah he was a dickhead he deserved it <laughs>
1: But yes, Rhaenyra's marriage tour is cut short. She's had enough of it all and she gets hazed by Corexes on the way home as Daemon is also returning to King's Landing. And we're about a year later, I think. So after all of that, it's taken, taken Daemon a year to get on his dragon and, and fly back to King's Landing. Rhaenyra's been on a, a tour for about a year. I mean, we won't dwell too heavily on the on the timeline. But yeah, that's where we are. The smaller time jump this time around. It was enough time for a haircut. Yeah, that's probably what he spent 11 months doing, right? (laughs) Yeah, I think so.
2: Just if if we are going to bring that up, there's quite a few scenes of some phenomenal like floppy curl that he was kind of moodily looking through
0: (laughs) that I enjoyed very much. That floppy curl's going to have an Emmy nomination in no time. (laughs) It's going to get nominated for Best Supporting Curl. So, uh
1: yes, everyone's back at King's Landing. Damon's accepted back into the fold as he he offers his crown over to Viserys. They dubbed him the King of the Narrow Sea, which feels like a little bit of an innuendo. I mean, we had innuendos a go-go in our last podcast recording. He's handed over his crown to Viserys and he gets welcomed back. Also getting on again are Alicent and Rhaenyra. There's some some nice chat between the two of them but before we get to their chat
2: something i want to raise and apologies if we already have covered this before he says all of this damon gives him the hammer is it and says add this to the throne is at that point i realized how much bigger the throne is in this time period compared to game of thrones we've got swords everywhere sharp spikes it takes up the whole roster i guess Whereas before, or should I say later on in Game of Thrones, it's literally just the throne. Everything else has disappeared.
3: Well, all all of the side
1: swords, as it were, a sea of swords around the throne itself. Well, it's meant to be a a throne of a thousand swords. So it's a little underwhelming almost in Game of Thrones when there aren't quite that many swords there. Each sword is representative of someone that they have conquered. So that's kind of why there are so many in this, that the Targaryens came over and they basically conquered the whole of Westeros. And with the
3: embrace between the two brothers, do we think that's genuine? I certainly felt it was with But What do we think about Daemon?
2: I thought it was very showy. I was kind of expecting that, you know, the way he walks off with him, I think holding him under the arm rather than arm around his shoulder is like, just you wait till I get you away from the court and I'll tell you exactly what I really think. (laughs) <laughs> but we didn't get that, sadly. They were all having a, a gay old time in the garden, weren't they?
0: Yeah, and this is something I wanted to talk about. Those brothers back together was so annoying. <laughs> like, I felt like they just regressed to like teenage years, kind of taking the piss out of everyone around them. They like laughed at Alison for mentioning the tapestries. They shot Rhaenyra down. But what I kind of liked about that was it was almost a way to kind of get into Alison and Rhaenyra's friendship growing again because there's been a couple of moments, uh, both this episode and the last episode, where they've kind of backed each other a little bit publicly. Rhaenyra saying, I'm going to go see the tapestries, that sounds great. And Alison, in the last episode, I think she said, you know, Rhaenyra would make a great queen or is the right heir or something like that. And it's nice to see that even though they're kind of estranged, there's still that bond there between them, which kind of, when they're faced with, you know, ridicule or kind of being put down for being a woman, it's it's nice. I'm I'm really happy to see it.
1: Yeah, I think this is one of my favourite elements of the show so far is the, of the, the changing nature between Rhaenyra and Alison and that relationship because that's something that you don't get, as I said last week in the books, that kind of, that you know, that to and fro, and I think it would be a really interesting thing going forward. But something I wanted to pick up on from earlier on in the episode is that in the first three minutes we get the C word and we get twats. I'm no prude, but I was just like, this is a little bit much for me going into this, you know, going into this episode, but in a way it kind of leads us up for the behavior of those two two brothers later on. To echo what you
2: both think, it's gonna be one of the interesting dynamics as it goes forwards between the two of them and and I guess it's a case of ovaries before broveries, right? Damn straight.
3: I also think it's notable the that- Viserys is also drunk again. That's clearly going to be... I mean, that that's a very Robert Baratheon kind of storyline going back to Game of Thrones. But I think that's going to play its part. That's not there by accident.
0: Yeah, the angry and alone king who drinks is quite the trope in Game of Thrones. And in some ways, it's quite nice that they keep some of that character development through all of it, that that's a bit of a, a stereotypical character. But I think it works. It definitely works.
1: And both times because they've lost the love of their lives, right? So Robert Baratheon was in love with Lyanna Stark and and clearly Viserys has not dealt with pretty much forcing his, his wife to give birth until she died. We then see Viserys in his
3: bath. He's got legions all over his skin. He's lost two fingers. Again, it's suggesting to me with all of his drinking as well that he's not going to be around much longer. That that's that's my general feeling.
0: Drink self-medication, right? Yeah, definitely. I think that's a good prediction, actually, whether the series is gonna last the series or even last the next few, because that would be that would open it up, right? I mean, without him having maybe publicly, I mean, I you know he said Rainier is his heir, but there might be a moment where he publicly kind of says, I need to think about it a bit more, and then kaput or it's all up for grabs. I think that's a great prediction. I can see that happening.
3: Well, the thing is, I think with Game of Thrones, we knew about the White Walkers right from the very first scene. Like, the threat of the White Walkers was always the kind of thing that we were leading towards over all the series. Whereas we don't have that with the House of Dragons. I've not read the books, Adam, you have, so maybe there is. But at the moment, we're not being teased with a kind of climax
1: in the way that Game of Thrones did. Yeah, if if I'm being hypercritical, I'd say that is probably l- lacking that super narrative, right, of, of, of what is this show about and what are we kind of, where are we going and where are we aiming for and what's going to happen? And we kind of don't have that necessarily. And that's not, maybe that's not a bad thing.
0: I mean, I thought the Crab Feeder was going to be that. I thought that's what they were sort of building up to, or well, they kind of, the way they introduced the Crab Feeder felt very like the way they introduced the White Walkers. And then clearly wrong. <laughs> <laughs>
3: And then again, before Rhaenyra finds the map that Damien's left for her, we also hear that Kulis is marrying his daughter to the son of a very wealthy person in Bravos. And that's put more pressure on the Targaryens to find a similar marriage.
2: I think his name was Lord Patatas, isn't it? <laughs> Patatas Bravos. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Lord Corlys and, and Damon, not not to be confused with our very own Damien. Yeah, lots of well, I mean later on we find out that they the king does make his own match with the sea snake. But yeah, let's let's cover this Damon and Rhaenyra in the bowels of King's Landing. In Sea Bottom. In it's Flea-bottom. an amazing
0: carnival. I mean, I swear when she ran out of that door and ran down and he met her in a cloaked, as a cloaked figure, I thought he was going to utter that immortal Titanic line. Want to go to a real party? (laughs) I'm
3: going to say, and I wish I predicted it earlier, but at that point, I honestly did predict watching it that the two of them would get together.
1: The lovely play within a TV series, the small folk do not rate her very much as a potential queen. And I think Damon was kind of showing her that without him, perhaps she doesn't have much of a chance of winning people over. And she doesn't seem that concerned with it, but he's saying it may well be a bit of a problem. But he feels like Damon is manoeuvring her a little bit within all of this, that there's kind of purpose. This He's not just taking her out for a for a good time on the town he's got ulterior motives
3: i think what was also interesting was in game of thrones females were allowed to perform whereas at this point of time they weren't and that's obviously very reminiscent of you know kind of shakespearean speaking Jacobean times and later on once we get to the restoration
1: and there's definitely was some females performing in that pleasure house, though.
3: <laughs> there certainly were. That's when I got most emotional and needed my tissues.
2: The bit I really enjoyed in that theatrical scene was when they were talking about who would be the best there. And when they talked about how Rhaenyra was a bad choice, that she was kind of like, boo,
3: rubbish. It was a little bit like Henry V before Court, that kind of sneaky out Finding out kind of what the real people thought, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I really loved it. And like you, Adam, the whole time I was like, what does what does what what's his play here? Like Damon? It seemed to shift like quite a lot. I knew he was being manipulative because he's Damon, right? But he was being a massive prick tease, let's just call it what it was. I was like, does he want to have sex with her because she's the heir? Because she's his niece? Because he fancies her? I mean, neither of those are great scenarios. (laughs) But I think, obviously, the conversation that he has later with the series, we get a bit more of a sense of, you know, that there was some, yeah, that he might have just wanted to, because she's his heir. But I loved being in the Pleasure Palace. I love the naked interpretive dancing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You've upgraded it from a pleasure house to a pleasure palace.
0: Was it not a pleasure palace? (laughs)
1: it was a pleasure
3: house and <laughs> it was in flea bottom i also had a similar question because i kind of predicted in my head early on in the episode that damon and rinera would potentially get together but then it was there was a big question in my head is he just doing it so he can become king and obviously that argument is played out with the series later on as to why exactly he did it and i'm not sure I I, th- I I think potentially there is an argument that Damon genuinely wants to get together with Renera, but it's really hard to read him.
2: Yeah, my thinking is is that he has set all this up and he picked that place, a very public place, to what was the euphemism that they used, couple, and in turn besmirch her character, and therefore when he goes to. To his brother with that offer, that's what it is. I think the reason why he stops is that the better part of his nature stops him for whatever reason that may be, whether because he thought actually maybe I do like her, which is weird, or or whether he felt guilty about it, and that's that's why he stopped it going from where it was. But I mean, goodness me, what what a way to leave the poor girl, trousers down, blouse open in public. Gosh.
1: There's a very deliberate removal of her of her hood, right, to reveal her hair that he does. And there's a line later on, I think, where Viserys talks about the blood of the dragon being chaotic. And I think he's just if I if I reveal her in a brothel in King's Landing, it will cause some ripples and I will then be able to sort of make something out of out of all of that. And I yeah, I think it's really interesting as to the, the reasons why he stops. I mean, we've we talked about the fact that incest has been teased throughout this and it's been kept in our minds. And, and you know, incest is something that the Targaryens have a big, big history with and don't see as a problem, don't see as a massive issue. But I wondered it, whether it was that actually he likes her as a person, as a niece. You know, he's he has a fondness for her that he didn't want to... You know, although he's really setting her up to be in a bad situation. But he does have this kind of thing of being dissatisfied with sex, doesn't he? That's kind of been a Damon thing throughout the episodes we've seen already. I
3: think there's a genuine chemistry between Damon and Winera. When they were chatting Hyphalerian to each other, you know, this kind of secret language that only a few of them in the court can speak. I do think there's something there and I quite like the ambiguity of whether he's doing it purely to gain power or whether he's doing it because he actually likes her. And obviously she has an attraction to him as well as to Christian, which we'll no doubt come to. But I didn't see it as purely power gain. I I, I think there's a genuine chemistry between the two of them.
0: I mean, yeah, I wonder if he recognises a lot of his traits. In her, like the fact that they were both like I think she said or he said we're both uncomfortable in this home, and the secret language like I think I wonder if there was a moment where he pulled back because I don't know they yeah, maybe that he sees they're too similar or I don't know it was a really interesting moment, I think, and it's great that we're not sure I think
3: yeah I agree and and it's uh, saying about the ambiguity it's like there's an almost moral choice that he takes not to go further than a snog. Although well, I think he's done what he needed to do
1: in, in a way. I don't know.
2: Yeah, I agree. I mean, talking about the moral, I mean, he's, he still took his niece into a, a brothel in the middle of an orgy, pulled down her trousers and pushed her up against the wall. I mean, it's it's not good any way you look at it, let's be honest. I, th- I think it is that his mission accomplished and before he went any further, his, his better nature kicked in.
1: Well, get ready for some euphemisms, because whilst all of this is happening, it's intercut with scabby old Viserys requesting his Queen's presence. <laughs> and yeah, at the end of all of that, it's, it's pretty clear that pest control is needed in the Royal Chamber. And I'm not just talking about the rat on the top of the bed.
2: I mean, it's, re- it's really progressed, hasn't it? Did we see those scars when he was in the bath? I don't think we did. Did we? See, we did see those scars then, right? I just didn't notice. I was too busy lesions, getting two fingers? Scars. Sorry, lesions, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was obsessing about two fingers. You can all be guilty of that. Sorry, everyone. My bit about that, I thought quite interesting, was there she was, just sitting in bed, all done up, ready for should the king call for her. And I thought, fuck that, man. I would be in pyjamas, fast asleep,
0: like, done, sorry. I think, yeah, this juxtaposition was so powerful and did exactly what it needed to do. And Alison and and then Rhaenyra, like in this, I mean, you know, sex party was just it just shone such a light on Alison's situation. And it was just oh, chilling, horrible. Yeah.
1: But as Damon says, fornicating is a pleasure, marriage is a duty. And it felt like that was that was kind of a, a coming of age moment for as <laughs> She then <laughs> she then decided to have her own pleasure with Sir Crispin Cole. And this was, I mean, this was such a great sort of I think erotic... that's Sir Crispin Cole, Adam. No, oh yeah, it is. Is it Sir Crispin? It's Crispin, isn't
2: it? It is Crispin Crispin. Crispin. Crispin.
1: Crispy I Crispy. I wrote down
3: Christian in my notes.
2: And then we find out obviously that it ends with a Krispy Kreme, right?
3: Mm. No, no. <laughs> no, no. No, no. No. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, well, he's you, no longer such, such a friend zone. He's no longer a friend zone. No, he's, he's definitely crossed that divide. Great sort of scene of... I mean, it must take about half an hour. They must have edited like the, the truncated version of taking that armour off.
2: Let's be honest. She did focus a lot of attention on his helmet first. No, no, no.
1: <laughs> My note was she stole Cole's helmet to get to his helmet.
3: I mean, let, let's face it. It was what we all wanted. I mean, they're, they're an ideal couple. And for her to lose her cherry to Sir Crispin is clearly, you know, what, we, what we're all hoping for. I think there's probably going to be a storyline about him being in the White Cloaks Kingsguard. My understanding is that she has a baby within the next year. And it looks like that baby, maybe Sir Crispin's.
0: We'll see if she enjoys that delicious warm tea that was delivered to her at the end of the episode. The thing is, she didn't drink
3: it. That's the whole thing about the end of the episode. We we never saw whether she drank it or not. The moon milk or whatever it's called. But it was essentially morning after tea.
0: Well, when we jump forward five years and she hasn't got a child, we'll know. But... <laughs> i think the one thing i, I liked about uh, this crispin scene was it was like his real tussle between duty and feelings for her like he just kept glancing back at the door like oh, should i i should probably be like i want to... I, i'm my duty is to protect the princess but also you know
1: a <laughs> quite fancy bit of that None more so than when he he took off his white cloak, right? There was a, there was much more sort of ceremony and care about putting the white cloak down, which is the badge of his office and what prevents him really from having those sorts of relations. But going from one white worm to another, Otto gets a message <laughs> from the white worm. And I was like, Who's the white worm? Some informant in Flea Bottom. And we saw the young lad as Renera left the brothel running off. And it turns out that his Employer is none other than Mysar, Damon's former whore slash queen. He's very
3: reminiscent of Littlefinger and Varys and, yeah, huge echoes of Game of Thrones.
0: Weren't they Varys's little sparrows? Didn't he call them then? Yeah. The kids that would run around King's Landing? And- His <laughs> little birds.
1: I quite liked how she was in this sort of long, thin, white... Dress, so kind of like how she got the name the White Worm was evident from what she was wearing. I thought that was a really nice touch that that led into the other. And she says that hard lessons are not welcomed but suffered.
3: I thought it was really strong that that role was given to a female character, whereas in Game of Thrones, obviously it was Varys and Littlefinger and their little kind of you know, obviously centuries later. The the fact that the person who held the power was a female. I, I thought that was an extra strong addition to the House of Dragon.
0: Just a clarify point. So the White Worm was Damon's wife. I thought the White Worm was that little lad.
3: No, no, the White Worm is Miseria. Sorry if I haven't pronounced that right. But basically the woman who woke him up when he was in the tavern.
1: There's a point where someone comes in and tells Otto that there's a, there's a message from the White Worm and then the, the young lad comes in. And then the next scene, we see that young lad giving money to, I would pronounce it as, as Mysar, M-Y-S-A-R is how it's written. But I may have that wrong. So that kind of link is that Otto has paid the young lad. He's then given the money to her. So that she is the white
3: worm. It's interesting how how long the Otto and my Ser or Mycer or how we're going to work out how to pronounce it. It's interesting how long that they've
1: been working together. Yeah, he says later she's never given him bad information, bad intel. Although this time, you know, the intel is that Damon and Rhaenyra coupled in the brothel when actually they didn't, and so the the, the conflict that comes towards the end of this episode is that Otto believes one thing to be true, Rhaenyra is is adamant that that didn't happen, and she's She's right and that it didn't, but it brings her and Viserys to a head and their their discussions and Viserys said, it doesn't matter whether it's the truth or not, but you have to marry now. You have to do that. And she counters that with, right, well, you have to get rid of your hand, Otto Hightower. I didn't see the scene where they brought it to a head.
2: Wasn't that some of the interpretive dancing in the Pleasure Dome? <laughs>
0: Please, Pleasure Palace. <laughs> I think it's interesting that Rhaenyra, it, that scene with her and Alison was, she was literally treading such a line between lying and telling the truth. And it was all sprinkled with little lies and then a bit of truth. And she was basically very careful not to say either way. Well, she did say that she didn't, but she said, Damon never touched me. I swear this to you upon the memory of my mother. And it's <laughs> like, well, he, we all saw he it. did. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she did play with the truth. But to be
2: fair, they didn't even get to second base,
3: did they? No, but Damon basically says to his brother they did.
1: Again, it's all of the, all the sort of rumour and, and hearsay and, and all the rest of it, but I think the fact that she entered the brothel is enough for whatever people want to believe. She was seen in, in and coming out of the brothel, and she was seen there with Damon, so people will believe it no matter what the truth actually is
0: talk about the damon and the scene i mean a hangover from hell or what for damon and it was interesting actually to see Viserys look a bit powerful like standing over damon he kind of looked quite kingly like you defiled her all this very kind of clear instructional language i thought that was a really interesting swap um, and probably the first time we've seen that kind of that power shift between them and it was yeah it was really interesting yeah, especially when you compare it to the scene earlier in the episode, Damon's
2: kneeling on the floor, he invites him up and that power is completely the other way around. And then come this scene, I mean, he literally digs him in the ribs, doesn't he? Whilst he's lying there hungover
1: as hell. As we've mentioned already, Renira agrees to marry Lenor. so it, that's a match that we're going to expect to see. And Viserys does indeed take the hand from Otto, which is going to put Alicent in an interesting position i think moving forward
2: is interesting enough a position to have an affair with someone who wears a big boot
1: speaking of big boots who we, we, we named incorrectly and i had to, had to make a, an apology and a correction in the last podcast but yeah his brother so the, the boot is laris strong laris the clubfoot strong his brother is sir harwin known as the breakbones sir harwin strong and he is the chap that Daenerys runs into in Flea Bottom. And we also saw him in the previous episode. He was there kind of laughing at uh, Rhaenyra when she comes back in with the ball. We saw him briefly a couple of times in last week's episode. And this week, he's Sir Harwin, is the guy that she bumps into. Again, similarly to the way that Laris was set up briefly, I think Sir Harwin Breakbones is going to feature so the strong family sort of being drip fed to us a little
0: bit can we just quickly talk about otto hightower i feel like a bit disappointed with what he's done and been given to do like i thought he was going to be i mean he is going to be still be a key player but like i don't know i just i can't really get a read on on how he's going to play long term i
1: don't think he's going anywhere he has effectively committed treason by accusing Rhaenyra of what she's done so you know who, who knows what's going to happen next it's definitely backfired and his kind of subtle sort of behind the scenes maneuvering thought it was really great that Viserys called him out on all of that whereas Damon is much more chaotic and throwing things up in the air he's been trying to sort of wheedle around things in in the background and it hasn't gone unnoticed so I thought that was quite a nice twist from Viserys.
2: Also He's the Queen's father and he knows where the bodies are buried. He is still going to be an important member of the court. He's just not currently on the small council.
0: I'm wondering if there might be a new kind of partnership between him and Damon coming up, because there was a slight look between them when Damon re-entered as King of the Narrow Sea and then left his crown. Otto kind of looked at him in a way that, felt a bit like, I don't know, it's hard to describe it. I just clocked it. I just clocked a look between them and I thought, is that the beginning of something here that we need to pay attention to? Ultimately, his kids are pawns for him to use.
1: And there's also that story from Viserys about how Otto became the hand in that Viserys's father was hand for like four days or something and then died under some circumstances that may well have been sort of dodgy. I think what we've been left with, though, is the moon tea
3: that has been served on the king's request to Winera, And if she doesn't drink the tea and she ends up giving birth to Sir Crispin's child, we're going to have yet another illegitimate kid involved with the Game of Thrones in the same way that we've had with Joffrey and Tommen and all the others.
0: I also thought that tea was a really interesting message that Viserys sent Wynera, which is, I don't believe you.
1: Grand. That, I think, is the episode. Let's talk about what else we've been watching. How about you, Grace?
0: Just two things I've been watching. The first is Bad Sisters. I know, Adam, you've been watching some of this. I don't know about Neil and Damo, but I'm really enjoying it on Apple TV. It's brilliant. Kind of a comedy drama about four sisters who, well, kill... Should I tell them that? Is that a spoiler? Probably not. We
1: don't, we don't know, but basically there's five sisters and, and one of them is married to... The Prick, a guy called JP, who is just the vilest person. He's the best villain on TV in recent history, I think. He's just deliciously vile. You love to hate him. The show takes place in two timelines, one just after his funeral, where these insurance agents are investigating the legitimacy of, of the claim because basically they can't afford to pay it. And then the sort of lead up to his death, where the other four sisters are all kind of plotting to kill him because he's been such a dick to them. That's the premise, I think.
0: Yeah, that's spot on. The characters of the sisters are brilliant. And I also love Sharon Horgan. So it's great to see her her in it as well. I'm just really, really enjoying that a lot.
1: Have you got a favourite Garvey?
0: Oh, great question. Ah, oh, God, I really love, I don't remember all their names right now, but I'm a big fan of iPatch.
1: Yeah, B.B., Played by Sarah Green, she's my favourite uh, of the Garvey sisters. But yeah, Sharon Horgan, Anne-Marie Duff and Eve Hewson, all really, really good. Some, some big faces in there. One of the insurance brothers is played by Gleason. And a shout out for Kleish for Bang, who's a Danish actor who plays JP. He's very, very good in this. And the other thing I really love about it are the opening credits. It's like this crazy, dark version of the mousetrap game where one thing leads on to knocking another thing When you've got hints of the story throughout all of that but, and, and a really great song to go with it as well. If you Google the Bad Sisters opening credits, it's a great little... Video piece, I think.
0: And as someone with a sister, it's such a brilliant portrayal of sisters in all of their kind of joy and difficulties as well. And also just amazing, amazing female characters. So, so, so brilliant to see. So, yeah, loving that. And then the other thing that I've been watching, which Adam, you recommended, was Marriage, which is on BBC iPlayer, which is the four part drama with Sean Bean and, sorry, National Treasures gosh sorry king of the north sean bean and national treasure nicola walker to give them their full royal titles yeah absolutely loving it it's just amazingly pitched observational writing and i mean they're just on their a-game those two and it's just a joy a joy to watch so i'm absolutely loving that as well so two things
1: cool so grace is now having to leave us for the rest of this podcast episode but lovely to see you again grace thank you very much
0: thanks guys good luck with the emmys Bye.
1: So full confession, we are recording this episode on two separate occasions and we let Grace go last night without having done our House of the Dragon sweepstake predictions. So there were no points scored, no kills, no deaths uh, from this episode. We're all still on zero points. And Neil, it's you to go first this time round. So for death, I'm going to go for
3: Viserys. I think I might be being a bit premature it might be near the end of the season but I'm gonna go for that because I think there's been enough lesions and fingers disappearing and stuff I, I think that's it's definitely on its way and then I'm gonna go to Corliss. I don't think we've heard the end of that motherfucker so I think maybe this episode will be a few kills by him.
1: Okay, so my death is going to be Mysar, the White Worm. I think she's made an enemy of Daemon now, and maybe Rhaenyra will try and find out who spilled the beans. And my killer, I'm going for a dragon. I'm going for Syrax. So Rhaenyra's dragon is my killer. Daemon, over to you.
2: Right, yeah, so I'm not entirely sure anyone big will die. But I've gone for, I think, my most likely death, which is Otto Hightower. And for killer, none other than Sir Krispy Kreme himself.
1: Excellent. Good good picks, I think. Good picks all around. So here are Grace's picks. Got a little voice note today from Grace with hers.
0: Hey, guys. So for my killer, I'm going to go with Damon and his supporting Curl. And for um, my death, I'm going to go with the Crispy Cole. Something of a revenge killing for the cherry stealing?
1: So there we go. Those are our House of the Dragon predictions all nicely wrapped up and we'll be back next week to see if those come good and also to talk about the next episode of House of the Dragon.
2: Imagine if we do end up with a cherry-flavoured Krispy Kreme.
1: <laughs> yeah, that would be a delight. Well, I'll let, I'll let you taste it, Damon. Damien! <laughs> Last night was the Emmy Awards and I stayed up to watch a bit of this. Well, I say watch a bit of this. I couldn't actually access it here in the UK. It's only streaming this evening as we're recording. So I was watching some people talking about the Emmys and following the awards on Twitter. We all made predictions for the Emmys, which we posted on our social media. And you've all seen the results now. I mean, I can, I'll go through kind of how all, all went. But if there's anything that you particularly wanted to pick up on, I'm, I'm sure we're going to be talking about Better Call Saul.
3: Well, that's it really, isn't it? Air or Soul nominated for 45 different awards and get a single one of them. However, what I didn't realise and has made me feel a little bit better is the last six episodes are eligible for the next Emmys. And that's definitely when some of the best work was done. I mean, they should have already got stuff by now anyway. And I'm really disappointed in that. But I know that there's still a chance for particularly Bob and Reed to get what they deserve.
2: I was actually seeing those results. I was inspired by our new Prime Minister, uh, Liz Truss, when I when I saw them, because I thought, that is disgusting.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it is with Better Call Saul because I was thinking maybe it was because it was half a season that they were looking at, but then they've not won in any previous years any single oh. Emmy that they've been nominated for. So Emmy voters must just not... Dig this incredible, incredible show. I think it's also
2: possibly, and I don't sound like a snob about this, so inevitably I will. I don't know if it's because the show is so nuanced and you kind of have to be fully on board to really get everything out of it. And you're thinking some of these people who are voting have to watch, if they're doing their job properly, have to watch so much TV and they might only be dipping into one or two episodes. And for Better Call Saul, it's the small things that make that show so amazing. The level of detail and care that goes into every department's work is why it's such an exemplary show. So that's the only real reason I can see other than an anti-Better Call Saul conspiracy. I mean, the fact
3: that Bob Odenkirk was dead for 18 minutes and then months later was back on site. And the way he played all three of the characters, the Jimmy is, is just, I, I mean, I, I, I find it actually quite rude that he hasn't been acknowledged. Reese Horn has been amazing throughout the whole series, but some of her best work is in those last six episodes. So hopefully she'll get it next year.
1: And I will say that in much as we all are really passionate and love Better Course and I think it's one of the best pieces of TV ever made. I don't think any of the winners of these Emmy Awards were undeserving of getting no. the award. There were some great performances, great shows across the board. It was a really, really highly competitive year this year, I think. Should we run through them? fairly quickly then in, in the order that they were they were given so I can kind of update you on the scoring as it went as well but it was fairly predictable to start with the first two awards Michael Keaton won best actor in a limited series for Dope Sick which I think Grace Damien and I all predicted. Uh, Neil didn't do the limited series or the comedy series. And then Murray Bartlett won for the supporting actor in a limited series for White Lotus, which was predicted by myself and Grace, but not by Damo. So we were two points up in the limited series and Damo on one point at, at that stage. I just want to hold my hands up.
3: I only put predictions for the drama because I'd seen like one of the comedies and one of the limited series. So it just didn't seem right to make any judgments or predictions. But that's why I uh, <laughs> i don't have an opinion on
1: those two categories. And Grace only predicted for the drama and the limited series. She didn't predict for the comedy series either. So yeah, we split them up. The next one was a bit of a surprise in that none of us predicted it, but not really that unexpected given the quality of the performance. But Matthew McFadden mm. won... Best Supporting Actor in a Drama Series for Succession, and we have waxed lyrical about Matthew McFadyen in, in our podcast previously. So no one scored a point for it. So the next award was the the big shocker, the hotly contested Supporting Actress in a Drama Series, and Julia Garner beat Reese Seahorn to the award.
2: Now I do think she is unbelievable as Ruth Langmore. And the second half of the final series of The Ozarks, she is just brilliant on her one-woman mission. But I mean, as Neil said, Ray is in contention for next year's Emmy. So my hope is that I can just about live with that. If she doesn't get it again, if she doesn't win next year, Ray, then I will have to revisit my view on Jennifer winning that. Julia. Yeah, not Jennifer, Julia. Thank you, Correcses.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, Julia Garner is, is superb in that. And, and this was the start of a few awards where it went to people who'd won them before. There's a, a run of these coming up of people who, who'd won in previous years. And Julia Garner, I think is her third or fourth time as winning as Ruth Langmore. The next one was a big delight for me, not just because I predicted it, but also because I think it's it, she's her performance is incredible. But Cheryl Lee Ralph won Best supporting Actress in a Comedy Series for Abbott Elementary, so that was me up one point on the comedy series. The next award was for their supporting actor in a comedy series. And that went to Ted Lasso's Brett Goldstein, the wrong Ted Lasso actor, because both Damo and I predicted Tony Jamo. But Brett is, is very good in Ted Lasso and I think won it last year as well.
2: Yeah, look, I love Roy Kent as much as the next person, but I'm not sure his character went on anywhere near the same journey.
1: No, definitely. Maybe he's funnier. Questionably, Maybe. have either of you seen Thor Love and Thunder yet? No. Uh, there's a Brett Goldstein cameo in that, which is um Is that just similar um Cinema at the moment? It's on Disney Plus now. It's available. Oh now. that's what I'm gonna be watching after
3: this cast.
1: So next we had two in the limited series. The best supporting actress was one by Jennifer Coolidge for the White Lotus and the the lead actress was won by amanda Seafried for the dropout and that made it four out of four for me on limited series i just want to say that um, um, we talked about jennifer coolidge a lot before but amanda Seafried is incredible in the dropout it really is a brilliant performance i enjoyed that show so much that i i listened to the podcast that it was based on afterwards and listening to that i can still only think of amanda seyfried it kind of shows what impact her performance had so those were both definitely very well deserved. And White Lotus starting to to rack up the, the the wins at this point. And then immediately after that, the directing and writing awards both went to Mike White for the White Lotus directing and writing in a limited series. So White Lotus picked up another two awards. And Grace and Damo both had predicted one of those each, so they pulled one back. But at that point, it meant I couldn't be caught. I'd already won the limited series because Damien was two points behind me and Grace and I had picked the same one for the series. So I knew I was a a winner in that category. All very exciting for me at the time. Probably about (laughs) half past two in the morning at that (laughs) stage. Jason Sudeikis then won the lead actor for a comedy series for Ted Lasso, which uh, Damien had predicted correctly. I thought for a moment that Quinta Brunson had won the lead acting award, but she hadn't she'd won the writing award for Abbott Elementary. So I didn't predict that one. So Damien was a point ahead in the comedy series at that point, I think, or maybe drawn level. The next one was a bit of a surprise. None of us predicted, but uh, Squid Games won the best directing for a drama series. Um, I mean, I do think both Succession and
3: Bet or Soul are amazingly directed, but Squid Games was as well. I mean, it was very different to anything. I think we were used to and, I think it told the story both visually and performance-wise. Obviously, a director is is very involved in. I thought it did very
1: well, so I'm not too upset about that. Yeah, it was great to see Squid Games win some awards, and we'll, we'll come on to how many each show won in a minute. But again, a good category, lots of really good episodes that were up in that directing category. So up till this point, none of us had scored any points in the drama series, not a single one of us. But the next... A winner was Zendaya as lead actress in a drama series for Euphoria. Bit of an Emmys darling. Lot of chat about Zendaya beforehand. She beat Laura Linney to this one. Laura Linney, which is, I think both Damien and I predicted. But Neil and Grace correctly picked Zendaya. So they got the first points in the drama series category.
3: Yes, yeah, she's just fantastic in Euphoria. I mean, she she really is.
2: And Laura Linney has won a few times for Wendy Bird. So I'm I'm sure... She won't be crying into her beer too much.
1: No, absolutely. I mean Zendaya's a previous winner as well. So again, it was it was another one that had won before. Again, so many brilliant performances in this category and 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 definitely Zendaya deserved to win that. Lead actress in a comedy series went to Gene Smart for hacks, which I don't know neither of you have seen. It is a phenomenal piece of work and she is brilliant in it. So whilst I was gutted that Quinta Brunson didn't win that one. Jean Smart won it last year. She won it this year again for the same show. And then Damien went ahead in the comedy series um, because he correctly predicted that Ted Lasso would win the directing nod. And again, because we'd predicted the same, I think, for the series, he couldn't be caught. At about maybe quarter past three, Damien was crowned winner of the comedy category. Succession won the Writing Award next in the drama series, which only Grace had predicted.
3: I thought the Better Soul. I mean, the writing is just absolutely inspirational. However, the succession scripts are just fantastic. Every time we review them and analyze them, I just got
1: heaps of quotes. What they're doing with the characters, they certainly deserve that. Yeah. Absolutely. Grace was, was now one up with a with very few awards left to go. And then lead actor in a drama series went to Lee Jung Ye for Squid Game. And again, Grace was the only one who predicted this. And this nailed the drama category for Grace. She won this one with just the series left to be awarded.
3: Well, as I've already said, I think Bob Odenkirk should have got that. Not that Lee Jung Jo's performance didn't deserve, you know, it was extremely good. Uh, I think if you compare it to um Bob Odenkirk's, uh, I don't think it's of a similar level.
1: I mean, Grace's win in this category is purely based on the fact that she hasn't seen <laughs> at all. So in 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 a way, I think that makes her a bigger loser than a winner,
0: right?
1: <laughs> the winners in the, the best series in each of those categories were fairly predictable. White Lotus won for best limited series, Ted Lasso won for best comedy series and Succession won for Best Drama Series, including the Creative Arts Awards. The most awards were given to White Lotus, came in with 10 awards in total. Uh, Then it was Squid Games and Euphoria, tied with six each. Stranger Things, all Creative Arts Awards, but they got five. Then it was Ted Lasso and Succession with four each. Given the number of awards they were nominated for, maybe a little bit disappointed with only getting four. Albert Elementary and Hacks and Only Murders in the Building had three awards, Severance and Dope Sick 2 and Ozark and The Dropout one each.
2: I think Pam and Tommy got one as well, didn't it? For yes, yes. modern costume. No, yeah. makeup.
1: Was that award for the penis?
2: And the tits, yeah. Or yeah. the prosthetics.
1: I, 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 do you know what? I think it was modern or contemporary makeup, non-prosthetic. Oh. So I think it might have been Tommy's eyeliner. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Significant. I was going to say that I think it's really unfortunate that Dope Sick only got two. In the end, White Lotus swept the board, but I feel like that's harsh on Dope Sick. I think that show deserved a few more awards. And I will say it again. If you haven't watched Dope Sick or White Lotus, watch them both and watch them now.
1: Coming up. I'd say all of those shows are, are worth a watch, definitely. I'm I, I so so pleased. There was so much love for Abbott Elementary, again, on, on, the, on the red carpet and, and during the whole thing. And it was great to see them come from sort of nowhere really to pick up three awards. It's a network show in the States rather than a cable or a streaming show. And apparently there aren't many sort of big network shows. I'm not fully aware of how it works but is brilliant and deserves to be seen by as many people as possible great so what else have you chaps been watching
2: i've watched a couple of shows other than the house of dragons and the rings of power or power of the rings or whatever they call it these days i have carried on watching raising canaan and the rap game uk but What I've been enjoying the most is the second series of Delhi Crime. So the first series came out whilst we were in lockdown, I believe, and it follows a police unit in Delhi as it deals with major crime. So this second series, a bunch of Benchog have started attacking elderly people in their houses and bludgeoning them to death and stealing all their money. And the race is on as the people of Delhi grow tired of the police's inability to catch the perpetrators
1: i was worried for a moment when you started talking about that that it was going to be about smoked sausages and nice cheese but it's not that sort of deli crime well no the problem with that is
2: of course uh, the stakes are always too high <laughs> <laughs>
1: That sounds brilliant. Did you say what well, that was on again?
2: Daily Crime on Netflix. Five episodes in the second series, I believe. Probably the same. The first series is, is um, based on a real case. There was quite a horrific uh, trigger warning uh, for sexual assault. Uh, there was quite a horrific gang rape on the back of a bus in India in 2012. And so in 2019, I think, or 2020, 2020 probably, was when the first series came out and it was based on that horrendous crime
3: neil i've started rings power you enjoying it yeah i'm enjoying it so far i think i've watched two episodes now so i need to get on to more of those but no i am enjoying it um i think it captures the audience a lot quicker than the films do unless you're a massive kind of lord of the rings fan i actually read the books after watching the films and they're quite, it's like Charles Dickens. At times, they're, they're kind of really tough to plough through. There's so much more detail. So if, if you become a fan of the world, um, I guess same with George R. R. Martin and with Game of Thrones. But no, yeah, I, I am enjoying that. I've got two episodes left to watch of, what's it called? See, in my head, I want to say Ahsoka, but I don't mean Ahsoka. Adam, help me. You said it was really good. What, and
1: think what's in it? What happens? It's
3: animated... Arcane? Arcane. That's it. Yeah, so I've just got two more left to watch that, and I understand a, a second series is, is in, in the making. But yeah, they're pretty much the only ones. I was actually going to try and finish that tonight, but I think it's going to be Thor for me.
1: Yeah, I watched the Thor film. I, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'd finish Arcane maybe, and then leave, save Thor, but it's up to you. What I have been watching is Cobra Kai. Um, I thought, I was watching this fifth season, I thought maybe it's finally run out of steam, because I had to wait until episode five for Paul Walter Hauser to appear. Stingray certainly now has added creepiness. But that's where all the good stuff came back. Episode five, full of gags about 80s references, and Johnny being stuck in the past, flashbacks to the original films, teen angst, Plot twists and, of course, karate.
2: Was it a case of wax on, wax (laughs) off?
1: No, there's definitely there's a moment in it. There was there's a moment in it where he he sort of thinks and does that sort of slight head move, and it was really really reminiscent of Blackbird and was sent a shiver down my spine. Basically, I know I'm preaching to the unconvertible here, but if you haven't tried Cobra Kai yet, then I recommend giving it a go. There might be the odd episode, which feels a bit of a lull, but when it hits its stride, it's really, really brilliant. Um, I can't remember whether I mentioned that I'd finished The Newsreader. I think I talked to somebody else about this off-air. Did you finish it, Damo?
2: No, I didn't get past, I think, the second episode.
1: It's got a really lovely, highly satisfying ending, I would say, so I think it's worth, worth sticking with and getting through to the end. Yeah, I thought it was a nice mix of comedy and drama. I'd watch a second season of it in a heartbeat, I think. I enjoyed that one. The other show that finished was The Resort, which I have discussed before, Louise Guzman shows up in episode six, which is always brilliant. And it all ends very unexpectedly, although it's thoroughly enjoyable. It's kind of a mystery comedy. you have got Kristen Milioti, William Jackson Harper, Skylar Gisondo, Nina Blumgarden and Nick Offerman, who are all great. But Luis Gerardo Mendez steals it for me. It's very, very good, tight storytelling, lots of style, humour and intrigue. So The Resort gets a big thumbs up. It's on Now TV, half an hour episodes. And then I've started watching a couple of shows. I've started watching From, which I previewed a while back. It's on Sky Sci-Fi, but it's a sort of horror, uh, horror. It's a horror, basically. Uh, (laughs) with starring Harold Perrineau of Oz and Lost, Catalina Sandino Moreno from The Affair. And I think it's either Owen or Ian Bailey who was in Band of Brothers.
2: Yeah. Also, just as another important character that Harold Perrineau has played... Mercutio in Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet because he, he is phenomenal in
1: that he's so good I mean he's so good in everything he, his character in Oz is, is one of my favourites similarly with Lost but yeah it's great, really great because I haven't seen him on, on screen for a while but there's a whole other village of characters it's, it's a big big ensemble show and lots of characters to get your head around but uh, this basically this, this village uh, no one can leave the village you're stuck in one place the road that leads out leads you straight back in again and at night the monsters come you're safe if you're inside, but they have psychic powers and they try to persuade you to open the doors. And when that happens, it's pretty gruesome. The monster reveal is very cool, builds tension well, but it is—it's quite horrific. So if you're—if you're not into the horror stuff, it's probably worth avoiding. But some good early world building, um, decent script. A few well-worn tropes, but I'm going to continue watching this one. It's available on Now TV and on on Sky. I've also started watching Surfaced on Apple TV. I'm not going to talk about it loads. I'm enjoying it. Script isn't quite up to par with most of the other Apple TV stuff. Have I finished anything else? Oh, I watched Boiling Point. Have you both seen that? I know you have, Demo. With National Treasure
2: Stephen Graham.
1: Yeah, like so it's kind of a TV film, it's on Netflix, but it's all one single shot, so the whole thing is done with one one camera shot, and it's about this chef in a restaurant who's dealing with all sorts of, of strife, and it's kind of the goings-on in there. Felt it, took a little while for him to reach the, the boiling point, but when it did, it was really good. Enjoyed it.
2: It's, it's definitely one to watch, and I highly, highly recommend that you put your phone in another room, don't allow us have any distractions and whatever you do, do not pause. Yeah. Mm. It has to be watched in one because it relies so much on the tension building.
1: And finally, I finished Big Boys. I mentioned it, I know, a, a while back, but we mostly joked about Big Boys. Uh, <laughs> and I didn't really say much about what it was about, but it's basically two young lads being thrown together in this accommodation. They didn't get rooms in halls, so they're left in this accommodation in their first year at uni. Jack is a gay man who's lost his father, and Danny's more of a sort of laddie lad with some sort of underlying other issues. Um, And it's kind of about the bond that these two very, very different characters have. It's a really, really gorgeous show. It's very, very funny and, yeah, thoroughly enjoyable. That's available on Channel 4. Uh, There's a couple of bits coming up. I did want to just quickly touch on before we finish. So The Handmaid's Tale Season 5 is out tomorrow in the US, but it seems like we're going to have to wait a little bit longer for that. The trailer suggests Elizabeth Moss has said it's an action-packed season, and it's now been announced that Season 6 will be the end of the show. That's news, but not necessarily something coming soon. Um, but Andor is, is really imminent now, isn't it? 21st of September, we're getting the first three episodes on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, I can't wait.
3: I really cannot wait. The trailers really excite me. Not quite worked out. What is it? Peter Skullensgard? Skullensgard. Skullensgard. Uh, I'm not quite worked out how his character is involved, but it seems like Mon Mothra is really going to be involved, which is very exciting. And I love Diego Luna. Um, I, th- I think he's a fantastic actor, so I cannot wait for this series. So excited.
1: And you've got Fiona Shaw and Forrest Whitaker also mm. appearing in this, apparently. Yeah, um, it would be great to see.
3: Well, what was his character's name in Rogue One?
1: Saw Yeah, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, it's the story of uh, Cassian Andor's formative years of the Rebellion and his difficult missions of the cause. It's going to be 12 episodes, this one, Neil. Yeah, also they're advertising it as the start of the Rebellion
3: how it all forms so you know that's really going to fit into the star wars universe and fill in no doubt a huge amount of gaps and if they do as well as they did with rogue one and also all the other obi-wan and mandalorian it can only be f- fantastic viewing certainly for star wars fans
1: looking forward to it so 21st of september we get the first three episodes of that I think that's all I have for... There's a few bits I've missed of, of shows that have come out, but it's just been hectic. So if you've seen something that you're enjoying, that we haven't talked about and you want to recommend to us, then you can get in touch at tvdnapod on all of our social media or email tvdnapod at gmail.com. Now, my boy, Otis, has been watching some stuff, Demo, that you recommended to him. Your uh, giggling and Fizz Club? Oh, I can't hear you. You're, mute. you're on mute. You're mute, Damo.
2: Classic, classic Zoom banter. Yeah, the Dazzle and Fizz Club, which is a new app which is uh, educational, educational and entertainment for kids aged three to seven, uh, of which I am one of the stars. So you can find that currently as of the day of recording, the 13th of September 2022. It is available on Apple and should hopefully be available on another smartphone devices soon
1: it's not to be confused with neil's app the fiddle and jizz club
3: are you all of the um all of the subscribers have you watched it is, is that why i've got over a thousand
1: watches is that because yeah. of you yeah it's all it's all me Neil. yeah you didn't hear anyone <laughs> knew about it but it was i found you out well i do have i do have a little treat for you demo of a little um review from otis so, what did you think of the Dazzle and Fizz Club? It was great. You enjoyed it. Yes. What was your favourite video?
2: Um,
1: the maths one. The maths one. Yeah. Was that was that Dan and Demo? Yeah. The counting bees. Yeah. What did you like about it? That it
2: had um lots of maths, and I'm so interested in
1: maths. Yeah. And would you recommend the Dazzle and Fizz Club to other people?
2: Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah,
1: maybe. What do you think they could do differently or better?
2: Um, one
1: up to 100. One up to counting, up to 100?
2: Yeah.
1: Okay, that's a good test for them, isn't it? Or
2: 1,000.
1: Okay, brilliant.
2: Oh, Otis, how adorable. And obviously a man of excellent taste.
1: But yeah, he's got his first badge, so he's, he's watched over 10 videos already. So yeah, he thoroughly enjoyed the app, so thank you for recommending that. Um, kept him busy for the best part of Sunday
2: brilliant well that means he's got at least one dazzle to put in his physometer let's hope he carries on filling it up and what
3: about my gizometer
2: the problem with that uh neil is is that it's it's very easy to 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 fill it up but then once it's filled up it takes quite a while uh, to fill up again
1: <laughs> grand i think i think we're nearly there then aren't we is there any any other business that we need to cover oh british bake-offs on tonight um, so I'm going to look forward to try and watch that with Phoebe. Um, but new season of British Bake Off starts this evening, which is a very exciting. I'm sure Grace and I will keep you updated with how that's going. We'll be back next week to talk about House of the Dragon again. Maybe we'll cover a bit more of the Power of the Rings and other stuff we've been watching. Bye. Bye.
2: And someone threatened to chop off her hand.
1: Bye. Right, in King's Landing,
3: we pay for our pleasures.
0: Mm.
3: <laughs> We certainly do.
0: Just to clarity clarify uh, <laughs> bye. <laughs>